Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you very much for joining me this week. It is the middle of the final doubleheader for Formula One this year, heading into the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, this weekend. Our last race, 2022 races this year or 23? Pretty sure it's 22 but I'm sure someone will correct me on that one anyway. It's been a long season, um, but also feels like it's gone so quick, you know, given the fact that the championship itself petered out towards the back half of the season. Not even, like, just as we got to the midway stage of the season, it all was done and dusted with Max Verstappen. Um, But we still have a race to go. We've got a race to talk about from the weekend, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Um... And it was a sprint weekend as well. Sorry, just trailing off there. Um, it was a sprint weekend as well, which uh, was exciting. Um, and actually was an exciting sprint race. I don't mean to just be saying it as if I'm reading off a script. But I think it probably was um, the best sprint we've seen so far. We've had six now in total. bit about that uh, later. But we'll talk about some... Uh, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as well. Gee, I just you know lost. This is this is going to be fun. Uh, so I've just started a new job this week after seven years working for one company and also five years in the same location. So you know now I'm turning in now my Monday to Friday nine to five person, <laughs> um, and I still want to keep recording on Thursdays. So you know, you might get a more tired version of me on a Thursday evening uh, here recording now. So yeah, that's 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 big big news, big change in my life. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about Abu Dhabi as well in a sec. And then of course, some MotoGP to round things off because they uh, had their championship wrap up um, a couple of weeks ago now. But anyway, let's get it into the Sao Paulo Grand Prix review again. Not the Brazilian Grand Prix, like some some people say, but it's the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Um, And Mercedes, at last, get their win, you know, their breakthrough win for 2022. Um, Who would have thought that coming into this year, that we would have had to wait to the second last race of the year for Mercedes to get a win. But such has their season been, you know, with with the design of their car not really suiting the regulations and just, you know, putting them backwards. Um, But they've been strong otherwise you know they've been one of the standout teams for me this season and I think a win for them was needed just to kind of cement how well they've done you know compare that to Ferrari like yeah Ferrari's got the fastest car but absolutely have no idea how to execute a strategy or get their reliability right whereas Mercedes you know they just have that consistency from the drivers they have you know the ability on the pit wall to make great decisions as well you know sometimes you might criticize them for being conservative on strategy but they know how to execute more than the team in red do and it was a maiden win for George Russell as well so George Russell Finally, a race winner in Formula 1, I'm sure there would have been a lot of sad people over the last year since the Sakir Grand Prix when he, you know, deputised for Lewis Hamilton when he had COVID um, and he was looking good to take a win there but ended up having reliability problems and the Mercedes pit crew letting him down. How ironic. <laughs> but no, it was a good good result there for George and a 1-2 finish for Mercedes as well. So how does that, you know, shape out 
in terms of being a statement for 2023. They all seem pretty confident that next year they can be fighting from the outset, you know, so Red Bull have kind of gone unchecked this season, so you kind of want, or we all kind of want to see a team like Mercedes hold Red Bull accountable, and particularly with all the other political stuffs uh, stuff and you know rumblings going on you know the cost cap and all that i think um you know a team like mercedes would do well to to challenge them again and give us give us a fight you know between hamilton and verstappen and even russell if he can get in there again so russell won the sprint on saturday as well so he started from the um top spot I can't say pole position because pole position is whoever is fastest in qualifying on the Friday so you can't say that Russell started from pole because in the history books he didn't have pole so he started from sorry grid slot one let's say but that's such a mouthful grid slot one and Mercedes were on song all weekend their pace was great um but let's wind things back to qualifying first because we had a, another first time uh, result with Kevin Magnussen and the Haas team getting pole position. Yeah, imagine waking up on a Saturday morning and reading that. You're like, what What exactly went on? Um, so apparently Kevin had set a blistering banker lap, you know, at the start of Q3. He couldn't even believe it and his team couldn't believe it. Then we had a red flag come out because George Russell binned his Mercedes Sorry, been to his Mercedes, and then the rain came as well, so no one was able to improve on lap times later, and, you know, pays to do a banker, and, you know, to nail your banker as well, as, as Magnussen did, so good job for Kevin Magnussen, unfortunately, in the sprint race, he went backwards, as you would expect, with the pace of the cars behind him, so he at least fell back to eighth, you know, to score one point in terms of the sprint uh results and the points that you get for for finishing in the top eight for the sprint then in the grand prix itself russell led from the start we had a safety car on the first lap because our friday qualifying pole sitter ended up in an incident with daniel ricardo and unfortunately it was big rick who was at fault there and we'll take a three-place grid penalty into what is his final race for McLaren in Abu Dhabi and also could be his final race in F1 for the time being or will be the final race in F1 for the time being. Um, no news on his future just yet, but unfortunately for Magnussen, that was not a good way to end the weekend that had seen such a high for them. And Ricardo too, he was just on the cusp of the top 10. I think P11 he was um, coming out of in the Grand Prix. So, you know, that was going to be such an important weekend or such an important race for McLaren as well with their fight with Alpine. But as you'll... Um, go on and hear me talk about it was not the case at all for the team in Papaya so had a safety car out early then a bunch of chaos on the restart you had Hamilton going to pass Verstappen and ending up clashing at turn two at the centre S's so and Max was given a five second time penalty now on the on first watching, when you're watching live and you watch the initial replays as well, you kind of wonder, hey, how's Max at fault there? You know, he was entitled to that corner because he was ahead. But the way that the new rules of engagement in 2022, what the stewards and the race directors have clamped down on or have revised 
as such, you know, to make the to make everything a bit more black and white was the fact that, you know, if the cars have to be even at the apex, the corner, or it's the car behind's fault if there's an incident. So the fact that the way that the center S's work, it's effectively a chicane, but it's still turn one and turn two, and they're looked at different as separate corners. So while Verstappen was um, ahead, you could say, I think it was, yeah, one of them was ahead going into turn one when Hamilton tried to make the move. Um, the cars were not alongside each other, and Verstappen could have got the could have got the crisscross, but he was still behind Hamilton when they got to the apex of the corner. So that's how they deemed, or the apex of turn two, and that's how they deemed him to be at fault there because he was still behind or behind the the where they deem you need to be for a pass to be valid or you know in in the case of the incident that they would say it was a racing incident so you know figure that one out for yourself i know it's black and white and everything but it's it, it seems very silly in the context of a chicane for example like if it was two left-hand corners or two right-hand corners or there was a there was a big gap between corners then it's cut and dry and it's obvious but for a for a chicane like that even though yeah their class is two separate corners I mean what did you want Max to do did you want him to back off you know and have whoever was behind him at the time to rear-end him or you know cut across the chicane and end up on the runoff and then there would be a whole nother controversy in terms of that so it was a bit bit harsh i think in that instance but you know they made the decision red bull's race was compromised hamilton was able to carry on his way not that it was hamilton's fault either you know i mean i think he gave a decent amount of racing room but then again these guys seem to bring out the worst in each other when we see them and you would have thought that you know now 12 months or almost 12 months after the events of last year's season finale at Abu Dhabi um they could have got on but I don't think that's going to be the case so and this is not me blaming anyone or trying to dig up old wounds or you know past blame and all that stuff I mean people are so sensitive to that still which is frustrating in its own respect because you know there's a bigger you know there's a bigger perspective and a bigger fight on our hands anyway than just you know going after the other team like you could you can you know criticize Max and Red Bull for a hundred other reasons this season than you know having to go back into last year and dig that sort of stuff up so that's something that I will go touch on a bit later as well um but yeah that's how that panned out then we had Leclerc on the same lap as well of the safety car restart get sent into the wall by Lando Norris at turn six unfortunately Lando at fault there he um just yeah didn't have a great weekend but he got a five second time penalty as well Leclerc lucky for him he was able to get out and carry on I don't think they had to change a front wing either um given the way that he was wedged into that wall and pretty much from there the race just uh, descended into a strategic game of chess so Carlos Sainz first of the leaders to come in on lap 18 to switch over to the medium tire um, or sorry switch off the medium tire I think it was no I'm getting it all wrong <laughs> I'm getting it all wrong sorry guys um, 
But yeah, he was quicker on the soft tire anyway. So I think it was he was on the medium tire and then went over to the soft. So you know Ferrari did quite well on the soft tire as well this weekend. Checo came in on lap 24, and then Russell, the race leader, on lap 25. Um, Hamilton stayed out the longest in that first stint, and he was in on lap 30. And really, Mercedes on either tyre were unstoppable out there. They just had the pace. Hamilton was able to pick off the likes of Perez and Sainz, but then was brought in for an early second stop while Russell had stayed out, so he was um, a bit confused and um, annoyed about that. Though, then Checo in the final stint, ended up being exposed on the medium tyre. So we had another safety car, because poor old Lando, who's not had like a bad enough weekend already, with the food poisoning and all, succumbed to a technical gremlin on his car, so a double McLaren DNF, um, and that pretty much left Checo exposed at that point when he was on the medium tyre, and you had both Ferraris, Fernando Alonso as well, on the soft tyres, um, on in the final stint after the safety car, so he was able to, um, well, he just dropped to, to seventh, and this is where a bit of criticism and controversy came in as well against Max Verstappen, because Red Bull had issued a team order for him to let his teammate Checo pass to take sixth, you know, it's not like they're fighting for a podium or a race win, and the championship is all but done for Verstappen and also for Red Bull as well so it's it's about getting that second in the drivers championship for Red Bull because apparently I got my stats wrong and um, didn't know that it uh, Mark Webber didn't finish second in 2011 so Red Bull have never had a 1-2 in the championship before so um, this could be the year that they do it but Max didn't want to yield even though it was just for P6 he said he would give his reasons later there's been much discussion and conjecture over what those reasons might be something to do with monaco and checo crashing on purpose or whatever i have no idea to be honest but still if i was max's teammate i'd be equally miffed because given how much help you know perez has given max you know you look back to last year and then specifically abu dhabi as well you know the minister for defense they labeled him and then this year as well in many instances don't even need to name them like i mean what is this an essay or something that i have to cite my references everyone knows what checo's done for max yet max just decides nah you know it's all about me it's all about me I mean, that's unacceptable. And if, if this is him getting even for something that happened early in the season, good on him. At least we know what, what his character's like now too. So the, the bit of harmony I thought that there was in Red Bull between those two, I mean, you know, Max is definitely your number one driver, your golden child and everything. And then his perfect foil is Checo because he just does what he needs to. He's been taking the points. He's the one who's the strategic scapegoat in every instance in a nice way. Not like, you know, Ferrari used to butcher their second driver's um, time. But, you know, Checo's been compliant all the way. You know, so what's this going to do in terms of uh, 2023? I mean, naturally, I think that, you know, perhaps Checo is coming to the end of his career, maybe another season or two. But, um, you know, if there's more fireworks like this, if I was Perez, I'd be like, you know what? I've done what I needed to. You know, I've got some race wins under my belt. Didn't get the championship, never been in contention and made a lot of money. 
I've got a family, yeah, you know, Max, you you do what you need to, you know, you're a complete, <laughs> I don't want to, I'm going to say, you know, Max, you're a complete psycho, you, you please yourself, okay, I don't have time for this, so that's, that's the mentality I would have if I was Perez going into next year and, you know, after, after this instance, but we'll see, Max supposedly says that, um, Max supposedly says that in Abu Dhabi he will um, ensure that Checo finishes P2 in the championship. If if he needs to pass him, he will let him. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think we're going to ever hear about you know what really happened in Monaco and stuff like that. And you know if it is if it is true that you know he crashed on purpose in Monaco to not let Max out qualify him, then you know it just goes down in history along with the Schumacher story and the Rosberg case and all those other th- stories um I wouldn't put it quite put it into like you know Crashgate or whatever but you know there's just there's one thing after another with the Red Bull team I mean just enough of it already please um Fernando Alonso moving on so we had the Ferraris finish in uh, third and fourth another podium for Carlos Sainz, good job. He's been the stronger of the Ferrari pair, I feel like, this second half of the season. And, you know, to be fair, he was strong last year too when Ferrari weren't as competitive. So perhaps, you know, all the pressure got to Leclerc earlier this season and now it's kind of just, you know, faded away as Ferrari's form has faded away too. But, you know, good on science for doing a great job. I want him to be up there next year if Ferrari can get their act together. Um, Alonso finishing in fifth, which was a great result for him considering you look at where Alpine were as a team following the sprint race on Saturday, neither of them in the points. Alonso cops a um, post-race penalty and falls close to the back of the grid because of him trying to crash into his teammate, or he did crash into his teammate, and they got together on a couple of occasions, did Alonso and Ocon. It got a bit fiery and to the point where Afterwards, they needed a good um, talking to by their team boss, Otmar Safnauer. Um, and Alonso saying things like, well, you know, I only have to deal with it for one more race. So, you know, goes to show you how far Alonso's come in his career if he's still um, making uh, clashes like that. And Ocon as well, there's no, you know, he's not clean either, given how much friction there was between him and Perez going back to their Force India days. So, you know, how's it going to be next year when he and Gasly get together and they already don't like each other? So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Hopefully it means less points for Alpine and McLaren can do a better job um, in terms of their car performance. But um, Alpine rebounding from where they were in the sprint race, uh, three-stop strategy on Alonso's side, which was very ornate or very like un you know unthought of in that instance but it got him to p5 Ocon p8 so they both scored points and it's all but done I think you could say the battle for fourth in the constructors between them and McLaren pretty unlikely that McLaren can overturn a 19 point um deficit in the last race unless they were to do a one-two and Alpine didn't score any points or at least finish or win the race and Alpine didn't score any points so you know that's disappointing in that respect but Alpine have had the faster car all year they haven't been the most consistent with reliability or their drivers 
but um, or incidents, as a matter of fact. So you know the fact that McLaren have pushed them, or let's say Lando Norris has pushed them to this final point of the season, shows how good the driver is, and you know. Also, I think if they had the points on Ricardo's side of the garage, they could have easily finished fourth as well. So that's another that's another topic of debate for next time. Valtteri Bottas, you know, in the points again. Um, Alfa Romeo looked nowhere at the end of qualifying and then in the sprint race. But, you know, Bottas seemed to go along really well in the race and scoring a couple of points. And it's just a nice little buffer, you know, get an extra couple of points ahead of Aston Martin. So there's five points difference between those two. Lance Stroll ended up scoring in 10th ahead of his teammate Sebastian Vettel. Um, and who was as high as P4 as well at um, one stage of the race. So, you know, good on Seb, you know, one race for him to go in his F1 career, and I did a little Instagram post the other day, um, just a little appreciation post for Seb, you know, with some with some old pictures, of course, you know, going back to 2013, one of him with at, at Red Bull um, that I had uh, as he was doing autographs here in Melbourne, and then um, 2019 uh, at, at one of the, I think, the season launch, in Ferrari kit, then 2020 as well, just before COVID, the driver portraits, um, and then of course I got one of him this year as well in Aston Martin kit, um, but unfortunately he was wearing a mask, so I didn't quite get his whole face, um, but yeah, it's still there, it's quite nice, go check it out on my Instagram if you're, if you're following, if not, the um, link is in the link tree to this podcast, so... But we need to talk about Lance Stroll, and I had a good rant about this on um, Grid Talk Show after qualifying as well. He did the same thing he did to Fernando Alonso in Austin, although it wasn't as catastrophic, thankfully, where he turns turns late, you know, you know, change of direction really late to cover off his teammate Vettel, who's coming down the left-hand side, grass, two wheels on the grass, and, you know, a fence on his left hand side as well and you know how that didn't end up in an accident was something that was phew, gotta say few that nothing worse happened but if Gasly is you know two points off a race span you know because of the points penalty point system or whatever then that's unacceptable because Stroll in the space of three races has done, you know, made this stupid mistake where it warrants a race ban just for him to learn a lesson because, I mean, it's not the first time he's done it and it's not going to be the last time he does it. When is someone going to get seriously injured as a result of this? What are they going to say after that? What's Stroll going to say after that? It's unacceptable in my eyes so not going to give it any more air but you know that's my feelings on it you know yeah like if if the dude doesn't care you know then he shouldn't be in f1 it's not you know a kid's toy set or something where you know there's no consequences or whatever there there needs to be consequences and as well just you know a point about you know that i made in the grid talk show as well um without using these exact words is that i feel like there needs to be consequences for his performance i mean look at paul mick schumacher who's now out of a seat you know breaking news um for next year because you know he couldn't quite cut it this year involved in too many crashes and um 
you know, didn't quite get the performance out of the car and the results that was expected of him at a at a back of the field team like Haas. I mean, what's what what is there for Stroll when he crashes all the time and you know can't keep up with his teammate? You know, you look at Vettel, thirty six points to to Stroll's fourteen. There's not going to be no consequences for him because the dad runs the team, of course. So that's the thing about accountability that really annoys me with with Stroll is that there's none. There's absolutely none. Yet you know we've got Paul McSchumacher who will be sitting on the sidelines. Um, next year, potentially in a Mercedes reserve gig, who knows, um, and he was doing alright too in the race, he faded, despite, you know, he faded late in the race, despite being in the top 10, so he could have flown the flag for Haas, but um, didn't quite eventuate, and yeah, that kind of sums up the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, congratulations to George Russell on his first win of the season, now we've got one race to go, um, looking forward to Abu Dhabi, um, could Lewis Hamilton's record of no winless seasons in F1 stand as well, last chance for him, you know, could be a little bit of redemption, I think, for Abu Dhabi last year if he's able to win, there's also the the question of the Red Bull fallout as well, Um Effectively, they're on tied points as Leclerc and Perez, so uh, Checo will need to beat him, outscore him this weekend to be able to get that P2 in the championship. Um, Max Verstappen as well, he's 137 points clear at the top, so he still has a chance to get to that 155-point gap between first and second to break that record that Sebastian Vettel set back in 2013. Um you know, so that will be interesting to see if he can do that. Uh, like I said, Mick Schumacher, unfortunately, out next year. It is quite sad, but at the same time, Schumacher, the way he has performed, I think, you know, as much as we would have all loved to have had that dream situation where he did well and he could follow in his father's footsteps, you know, it wasn't going to happen to that degree, but unfortunately he hasn't even shown that he's capable of, you know, scoring points on a basis where he's expected on a level that he's expected to at Haas. So, you know, I feel like F1 perhaps is not where his future lies. He could, you know, do really well in sports cars and everything beyond F1, so we'll see, I mean, but out of the options that Haas had, really, that they put on the table, it was him, Giovinazzi, and Nico Hulkenberg, who's got the seat, we get Hulkenberg, you know, 12.0, um, for the millionth time, or whatever, I would have still given the shot to Schumacher, because, you know, if anything, he's got all this room to improve for next season, he's already with the team, he's helped, you know, you'd like to think he's helped develop that car as well over the last couple of years, or at least in this year since they've had a new car. So, you know, at worst, it would be the same as what we've seen this year. But, you know, there is all the more to gain. Whereas with Hulkenberg, it's a known quantity. It's a very conservative choice. I mean, it's been a couple of years or three years since he's been in a full-time seat. And, you know, I was a fan of Hulkenberg. Like, I am a fan of Nico Hulkenberg, but I feel like, you know, sometimes you've got to call it a day. And the fact that, you know, he has that unenviable record of, you know, most races without a podium, like, you know, something's got to give with that. I mean, sure, he's talented and everything, but 
he didn't quite get the job done when he had the tools to be able to do it. And I'm going back to Force India 2012. Um, Renault, like he wasn't there in 2020 when Ricardo and Ocon were able to score some podiums in that car. So, you know, it's it just shows, I guess, you know, he's he's there, he's up there, but he's not quite, you know, in that upper echelon. And while Mick is not going to be there either, you know, at least he's someone you can easily... <laughs> you know, rely on, or the fact that he's been there, oh, I just, I just don't know, anyway, good on, good on him, we've got a good lineup between, you know, it's a reliable lineup between him and Magnussen next year, if they don't score points like they're expecting, then, you know, we can all dig into Hulkenberg next year, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles, I guess, a lot of people have short memories, I feel like, when it comes to F1, so, you know, I'm sure we'll forget about it and move on. Anyway, so that's all to look forward to in Abu Dhabi. Um, last race weekend, of course, of the year for F1. And then for me personally, I think if you watch, you know, supercars, we've still got the Adelaide 500 coming in a couple of weeks. And that'll kind of be my last uh, race weekend as well for the season. So, you know, it's it's all coming to an end. Be happy to have a little break as well. You know, just uh, reset, reflect look forward to 2023 and um that's what MotoGP is doing at the moment as well because uh we had the finale in Valencia a couple of weeks ago great great season um and the decider of course with uh Peko Bagnaia overturning a 90 plus point gap in the championship to win his first title first Ducati rider to win since Casey Stoner back in 2007, and also Italian rider on Italian bike, which is something I think Giacomo Agostini um, accomplished on board an Aprilia or an, or an Augusta, I'm not sure, back in, you know, the heyday of the the sport, so, you know, really good result for them, and I mean, no one's ever, ever overturned a gap that big. Um, and this is going back to the German Grand Prix just before the mid-season break. So that was where the gap was at its biggest. Fabio Quattararo looked like he was on top of the world. But then Pecco comes back, seven wins in total to Quattararo's three. Yamaha, you know, the bike is just in a state of decline, still lacks that power. And then only two podium finishes in the second half of the year for Quattararo is quite disappointing. And, you know, they just renegotiated a new deal earlier this year, you know, a few races into the season where it potentially looked like Fabio would walk, but um, he ended up staying. And what if he's regretting that now? Because it doesn't look like um, there is much promise for next year. Oh, sorry. Big yawn. It doesn't look like there's a pr- lot of promise for next year. It probably looks a bit better than Honda's outlook anyway. We'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, Yamaha as a whole was so bad this year that Frankie Morbidelli, who is Quattararo's teammate, of course, he's been struggling with since that knee injury last year. He was P19 in the championship, and that's aboard a factory bike, a factory Yamaha bike. You know, these guys were at the top. Um, going back a few years ago, you know, Jorge Lorenzo, Valentino Rossi when they were teammates, and then even um, the first couple of years when Maverick Vinales was there too. 
No wonder Vinales decided to pack his bags and leave. Um, it's been entertaining watching that MotoGP Unlimited series at the moment, on um, which is on Disney Plus here in Australia, because you get to see all that um, controversy between Vinales and Yamaha last season. And then, of course, um, he's only had one top 10 finish this year, and that was in the last race, and Valencia did did Frankie. So, and I feel so bad for Frankie, because I love Morbidelli. He finished second in the championship in 2020, and that was on the satellite. Um, Petronas SRT, uh, the Sepang Racing Team bike, um, you had Andrea Davizioso, who was on the RNF um, satellite Yamaha, who, you know, RNF taking over from the Petronas team, uh, and he didn't even race the full season, decided, yep, I'm retiring after my home race in Mizano, and then they brought Cal Crutchlow back, and he did a few races, and didn't really do much, you had Darren Binder as well, who's been pretty anonymous all season, there you go, I couldn't tell you what his best result was either, so, you know, Yamaha as a whole, just, you know, it's it's quite sad, you know, their state, and then you want to talk about Honda, I guess Mark Marquez after the Valencia test, you know, postseason test, giving an ultimatum almost, you know, saying that he feels ready to win, but Honda or not, you know, the Honda if I need to make a step in my fitness in the off-season, Honda need to make two steps. And this is their champion. This is Marc Marquez, who dominated the sport for since he came in in 2013. He won every single championship up to 2020, except for 2015. You know, six-time Premier Class champion. And, you know, Honda have kind of gone to ruin without him there, you know. So that'll be interesting to see what they do next year. Of course, they get... They will benefit from two Suzuki refugees in the form of world champion from 2020, Juan Mir, and then, of course, Alex Rins as well, who will go to the LCR team with Taka Nakagami. Um, and just sad in general that Suzuki is going to no longer be on the grid or they're, they're finished in MotoGP. Um, Alex Rins giving him two wins in the last three races, two, one at Phillip Island here, and then, of course, the fairy tale final. Race for Suzuki, winning there in Valencia. Um, so hopefully they'll benefit the Honda program and uh, Mir on the Repsol Honda with Marquez. That should be a good combination because Marquez's teammates since Danny Pedrosa left have been pretty shocking. And not, not in the sense that they've got no talent, but the fact that, you know, after Pedrosa left or, you know, after Pedrosa was in his prime, you had Jorge Lorenzo come in who, you know, the Ducati... Um, spell didn't quite work out though, he did score a couple of wins there, and was looking really good, but was just nowhere in that year with, um, with Repsol Honda, then they had Alex Marquez, you know, Mark's younger brother come in, you know, it wasn't, it was going to be a miracle if he would perform, and then Paul Spargo for the last two years, I would have thought that, you know, we would have seen more from Paul, but, you know, it didn't quite work out for him either, so someone like me, who is a world champion, he's young, he, you know, is consistent, as we saw in the 2020 season, where, you know, he won one race, and still won the championship, hopefully, you know, he can be the one, as well as Marquez, to turn their fate around, um, Jack Miller going off to KTM too, so no longer on the factory Ducati bike, he'll be at the factory KTM with uh, Brad Binder, 
And um, we'll see Inea Bastianini, who after four wins this season on the Grassini Ducati bike, step up to the factory team in 2023. And he was third overall as well in the championship. So that'll be interesting, the dynamic between him and um, Bagnaia. I think, you know, Bastianini will be someone who will be quite ambitious and, and wanting to... Um, wanting to win straight away, but you know Miller and Bagnaya, their ba- uh, their dynamic was quite good. You know, I really enjoyed watching them two together. Even though I would have liked to have seen Miller a bit more successful on the Ducati, but you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And Ducati, just like Ferrari, showing that they're quite ruthless when it comes to making decision on you know driver lineups and whatnot. So. Yeah, that's pretty much it anyway for this one. Um, looking forward to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Quick mention as well, um, bit of disappointment, of course, with the World T20 Cricket Final, of course, with um, England and Pakistan there. You know, obviously, me going for Pakistan didn't quite work out, sadly. Um, but they played really well to get to this stage. The fact that, you know, a week before... The final, they weren't even in contention, but we've got to thank the Dutch, you know, you've got to thank the Dutch for something. <laughs> if you're not a Max Verstappen fan, um, thank the Dutch for beating South Africa to allow uh, Pakistan the path to come through to the final. And, you know, as much as I was hoping for a repeat of the 1992 World Cup final, which was which was played here in Melbourne, of course, as well, with the famous Imran Khan and Wazim Akram as well, um, it didn't quite work out, but credit to England, you know, they've been the form team um, all tournament, and they're the only team in the history of white ball cricket to have both the ODI World Cup trophy and the T20 World Cup trophy, so good on them. Anyway, that's about it. Wrapping it up. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. As I said, you know, find all the relevant links through my link tree on the um, Twitter account. It's at Hit the Apex Media. Other than that, I'll see you guys next week to um, review and wrap the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Thank you.